Hey, it's Nikki on Getting Real, and I am really excited to talk to Leon Russum today, the main actor in the movie The Midnighters, who is also known for his roles in Prison Break, True Grit, The Big Lebowski, and plenty more. Thank you so much for being here, Leon. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm really excited to talk to you about this movie, The Midnighters, which is available video on demand today. Can you give us a brief rundown of the film? Uh, sure. Uh, a fellow who is 73 years old is released from prison after 35 years and uh, has no clue of how he's going to survive because he uh, had been in prison for safe-cracking but there was a, 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 a someone died in the midst of it, so he he got saddled with a a rap that he didn't really have in, any involvement in, and so now he's gotten out, and uh, there was money from the uh, from the crime that he committed, but uh, the people who were supposed to hold on to it for him have either died or run off with it and so he finds himself in this economy with no skills and 73 years old yeah and no money it, no options and and then out of nowhere <laughs> his son appears well, then, then <laughs> suddenly when you think the whole film is going to be like one of those depressing post-world war ii things about uh, that the italians did so well or neorealism about poverty and old age and all of that. It looks like it's going to be an examination of that. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly he realizes he's being stalked. And the stalker turns out to be his son, who was a toddler when he went into prison. So they have no knowledge of each other whatsoever. And the son has gotten himself into a really sticky problem with owing people money. And so he has planned a crime that he wants his father to help with because of the particular skill he has of opening safes. And their dilemma is that they need to get gold bullion out of a safety deposit box room, which contains an antique safe. And so he's virtually the only person that they, that any of them could have found to be able to, to open it. But meanwhile, of course, the people involved with the, the Russian mafia are not likely to let them live, and Victor knows that. He's smart enough to realize that. Mm -hmm. And so they have to deal with that problem. And uh, the wonderful thing for the character of Victor is that uh, he goes from not knowing what to do with himself and staring uh, at one point, the son says, what do you want to do, be a, a, a greeter at uh, Costco's? Mm -hmm. And he goes, well, I'd certainly like to be allowed to try, yeah. I mean, because he's that low on the totem pole. But the moment the son enters and has a problem, he has a purpose. He needs to uh, get his son out of the predicament that he's gotten himself into. And that's something that's really interesting, the fact that he feels that way, even though he doesn't really know his son at all. But that's that family bond that you have. Right. And, and you know, also just the, the sheer guilt of he didn't abandon his son because he was taken into custody. Mm -hmm. But uh, he knows that, that the son must have seen it as abandonment. 
Right. And his son had never visited him while he was in prison either. No. And, uh, and the, uh, as you watch the film, you're never sure whether the son even likes him. Yes. There's a whole feeling of, uh, what is their relationship? Mm -hmm. And that's what makes the, the ending so awesome. Well, cool. I'm glad to know it's awesome. Yes. Because, because, you know, since we've been living with, I've been living with this film now for almost 10 years. Julian's been living with it for his whole life, I guess. But, uh, but the whole, uh, you get too close to something to know its effect on other people. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I know, I know what I, what my hope for effect is, but I have no idea what people make of it uh, yeah. because I don't know. It's like you make, even if you, if you made a potholder, you know what you were trying to do, but you're not sure the other people know what you're doing. Yeah, you ex- <laughs> exactly. And with your resume, what drew you to this movie in the first place? Well, first of all, I play the third or fourth man in, in most of your projects mm-hmm. that I do. Uh, I'm usually the heavy. I'm usually a villain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm usually, uh, as I've gotten older, I've become the big boss. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. I mean, like on Prison Break, I was virtually a James Bond villain. Mm-hmm for three years, and uh, uh, now, all of a sudden, uh, this was the opportunity to play a lead who who was, and Julian kept reminding me again and again and again, he would say, now remember, you're the leading man in this, you just happen to be older. And the difference that he was trying to point out is that characters who only appear in a scene or two usually have very clear characteristics mm-hmm. because you want them because they're not long they're not on the camera long enough unless they make things clear quickly right right yep whereas if you're playing the lead you uh, you want more to draw the audience toward you to make them wonder what you're thinking as opposed to show them. Mm -hmm. And that maintains their interest in you. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a totally different shift to play the lead in something, as opposed to playing the lead sidekick. So do you do a lot more, I mean, obviously you have to do a lot more character development, but are you in control of that character development more in this leading role? Oh, uh, well, yes. And, and, uh, the other thing too that what that's wonderful about it is because you're in every scene, uh, the the film cannot work without you. Mm-hmm. So because we had such wonderful actors in the film besides me, I could be in a scene and uh, and go, this scene is about the other actor. Uh, let's uh, let him shine. Don't do anything tricky or, or uh, anything that, that prevents him from accomplishing his purpose because I have the purpose of the whole film. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are going to see me from so many different angles that I don't have to make a big impression in every scene the way they do. Mm-hmm. 
I guess and I never really a, thought of it that way, but yeah, that well, makes I, sense. I never really thought of it that way either until I started to do it. But I, I just discovered that in scene after scene after scene, I'd see people doing wonderful work, and I would go, oh, okay, let's, uh, let's aid and abet them. I've got the whole enchilada. They've just got a taco or two. That makes me think of the scene with the Russian mob guy talking about his family and the story about the money. Mm-hmm. And in that scene, I see what you're saying. So can you tell me for this film, obviously you're, it's a drama, so you're super serious when you're, when you're filming, you're on set, but there has to be moments where you have fun, you're laughing, and you're you know, breaking character. Can you tell me about any of those moments? Well, I would love to, except that we shot this about five years ago. It's been that long in post-production and seeking distribution and, all, and the, the uh, festival circuit. Mm-hmm. And we shot the whole damn thing in about two weeks. So it was all pretty rapid. Yeah. But the like the young man who plays my son, who plays Danny, he and I are members of a, a theater group together. And so we're very comfortable together. There must have been wonderfully stupid, funny things that happened, but <laughs> I don't remember most of them because we were so busy just trying to accomplish what we could in the time we had and with the money we had. Yeah, and I suppose uh, that is pretty normal for an indie film versus some movie with a big budget. Right. Well, for instance, I went, I, I, I was in a film that was number one in the country for, the, for three weeks this summer mm-hmm. called A Quiet Place. And, uh, and in A Quiet Place, I appear for maybe all of 45 seconds. But um, we probably spent as much money on that scene as the entire film of The Midnighters. Wow. Uh, so it, it, the difference in, uh, in how, uh, how you have to make everything count when you're shooting it doesn't leave a lot of room for, like, practical jokes and wonderful things. Uh, one of my favorite stories, though, is that the guy who plays my uh, parole officer, oh, yeah. I had done King Lear with him. He played Lear and I played Gloucester. And then shortly afterwards, I wound up playing King Lear in another production, playing Lear himself. And um, so I called him and asked him if he would do this piece. And I said, you know, you're ridiculously overqualified, but would you please do this? He's, he just said, where do I park and what do I wear? That is so great. And uh, everyone in it was, uh, was so eager. They all fell in love with the script. Uh, and, you know, there are things where when the, film's, when the film's finally cut and edited, the elder of the two Russians... Uh, had a great deal more to do and did it quite well. Uh, Stuart McCain is the actor. And, uh, but a lot of that did not make the, the final cut, not because of the quality of it, but because 
some of the points that he was that his character was making had already been made earlier in the story, so why repeat them? Mm-hmm. So that's another thing is that you know you get wonderful work from people that sometimes winds up on the cutting room floor and right. we never see it. Yeah, and the, the thing that I love about independent movies is that they're really passion projects for everyone involved. Oh yes, uh, they, well. They, they, they have to be because uh, you're usually playing with your own money or with money that you borrowed or money that your your extended family has given you in bits and pieces, and you feel a, a terrible responsibility, you know. Mm-hmm. And in this case, I think it almost all came from Julian's extended family, uh, with a little, with tiny little bits of help from fellow actors and fellow writers and, you know, people that can go, well, here's 50 bucks, if that will help you. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> so you, you you have to be passionate about it because the obstacles are so great. And also one of the things that nobody realizes is um, uh, you're very dependent on locations if you notice a whole lot of independent films don't really go anywhere geographically right? because you've got to pay the owner of whatever place you're going to, wherever you're going to shoot, you've got to pay somebody mm-hmm. and, uh, and they charge you the same rates they charge Michael Bay. I mean, they, there are no discounts. Right. So locations alone, when you're writing a script, you have to slash them to nothing. Uh, I think a, probably a third of the money that we spent went into creating the bank. Oh, I'm Creating sure. the bank vault, you know, <laughs> because uh, uh, that, we found a, a bank and then... Uh, they agreed, and then they just they unagreed. So we had to like throw one together all of a sudden. Wow! And you know, every time you, you shoot in the corner of a restaurant, that's uh, that's uh, probably five thousand dollars just to sit down. And so it goes very quickly. Yeah. So it's got to be something that everybody is on board to do and everybody's excited about and everybody's passionate about. And that's the thing that makes these movies so enjoyable to watch because you realize all of the trials and tribulations and the speed that these movies have to be created in, which is another reason why for stage actors in particular, they, I feel like they do a wonderful job with these indie films because they're used to doing it in one take. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Uh, the, uh, but it, it's also very peculiar, the, the stage actors who cannot make the transition. That somehow or another, they, all, they have to play heightened characters, uh, characters that are not like somebody that you would meet on the street, mm-hmm. because they have a theatrical air to them. They, they, they tend to speak too clearly, or, they, or whatever, right? Whatever the, the way is that they make sure they're noticed on stage can work against them when they go to film. That's why the, the, the British stage actors play uh, uh, intellectuals or 
very articulate people, mm-hmm. you know, the, because uh, a whole lot of being in a film is, the camera is merciless and it absolutely knows what you're thinking. And so you have to, you have to be so relaxed that, that you would never be taken as a, a liar. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense to you, yes. if uh, if I'm not feeling good and I just do the exteriors of something on a stage, that'll pretty much work because people are sitting far enough away from me. Yeah, but a camera bores right into your eyes, mm-hmm. and it will see when you lie, and uh, I can see in big hit features when actors just go off it and they're not they're not really there. It's so much more uh, a medium where you must be, uh, where you you must actually be in the place that you are, and nothing else should ever enter your head because the camera will catch it. And sometimes the opposite happens, where a lot of clever directors will uh, say cut, but they will have told the camera crew that when they say cut, they don't really mean it. Mm-hmm. And they will continue to shoot because what they get when an actor's off guard might be usable. It's real. Right. And sometimes you can see a, a, a ridiculously, uh, a ridiculous difference, a discrepancy between when somebody is just sitting and thinking or talking to somebody casually and what they look like when they've been scripted. And I think that's one reason why you get a whole lot of film stars who were never stage actors. Well, I think this movie came out wonderfully. I love it. I had a blast watching it. I told my husband that we need to order it because he needs to watch it too because I know it's one that he'll really like. And The Midnighters is available video on demand today. Leon Russell, thank you so much for being with us today on Getting Real. Thank you.